Welcome to Charmaine Wilson, the Australian Medium Podcast. Good morning and welcome to my podcast where we are currently reading my first book, Spirit Whispers. Now, we are up to chapter four, but I want to um, add something from this chapter before I start. Okay, firstly, some of the um, work in this book was written by somebody else. And the reason for that was because uh, this this person that I got to write um, did the edit and rewrote some of the stuff. And while at the time of the publishing of the book, some of these things are making me a little cringy, okay, because it's not my style of writing. I know that sounds weird, but I have to be honest. I'm a very honest person. And there are some things that are said that um, I really did not write, and I want you to know that, and I want you to know that for a reason. So I'm going to put this sound. Sorry, this sound. This is the sound I'll have. If I really hate it. Okay, but maybe not, maybe not, maybe I won't do that. But there's some wording that um, if you are reading along, I may leave out. Um, so if you're reading along and you're thinking, she left that out, there's a reason for it. So I won't, I won't do the, the, the funny sounds that will just distract the reading. Now, the other thing I'm going to change in this chapter is a name. Um, some of you may or may not know that my second child was born a male, but is now a female. So instead of using her dead name, I am going to be using her current name and I will be changing her sex throughout this book. And that is in total because uh, that's just what I'm going to do, okay? You will read it as different than I say it, but I will not um, dead name my daughter. Okay, thank you for that. Now let's start. Chapter four, Chasing the Dream. I wandered the earth like a grey zombie for a long time and then one day it hit me. I needed to get a suntan. I know that must sound strange, but I'd become obsessed with my skin colour. I don't like to lie out in the hot sun, so I found a tanning bed at the local gym and spent many hours browning myself to perfection. Each day as I walked out, I would pass the aerobics room. In 1987, in 1987 yes, because this was January 87, Aerobics was a new rage. It fascinated me to watch the classes. All my dreams of dance came to the surface. I remembered a year earlier just how much fun Crystal, my friend Dot, and I had working out to an exercise video, Jane Fonda. I took the plunge. Dressed in a pink leotard and tights I had purchased at a Lifeline charity shop, I walked in and joined up classes for a month. That day as I left the class feeling somewhat exhausted, I felt something give. At last, I knew I had found an outlet for the anger and grief pent up inside of me. I did not miss a single aerobic class during that first month, nor in the next three months after that. I enjoyed it so much, I enrolled to become an aerobics instructor myself. As I had done with the childcare course, I threw myself into instructor training. By 1988, I was a qualified aerobics instructor, popular with my new classes and involved in competitions. My life was back on track and had been for a while. Mick and I still drank heavily on the weekends and continued to argue, but hey, that was the Australian way, wasn't it? At me, 24, and Mick, 30, I had lost, we had lost two children between us. So when I discovered I was pregnant again, we were both over the moon. 
I was about to qualify as a fitness leader and I'd been very excited about it, but that would have to wait for now. We were so excited about the arrival of a new baby. It signaled the beginning of a fresh chapter in our lives. Mick treated me like a queen throughout my whole pregnancy. We could not wait for the birth. Our daughter, Molly, was born on the 10th of February, 1989. It was not an easy delivery. Our eagerly awaited new arrival weighed over nine pounds and the birth process was long, complicated and stressful. Without going into the gory details, just just say that I couldn't sit for a very long time after the birth. The baby had some lung problems that required a short sunbake in the incubator at the Premi ward. How strange to see our big nine pound five baby in a room with all of those tiny Premies. Molly was a calm baby, easy to feed and a good sleeper right from the start. Her dad, on the other hand, was not quite so well behaved. On the day of the birth, Mick went out to celebrate in the tradition of many Australian men before him by getting pissed with his mates. Feeling 10 foot tall and bulletproof after siring a nine pound baby, Mick decided to give a friend's British motorbike a test run. In his his celebratory pissedness, he overlooked the fact that on British bikes, the controls work in the opposite way. He accelerated with unmatched skill straight into a brick wall. I was still in my hospital bed, very sore and very worried about Molly lying in her humidity crib when they came to me to tell me about Mick's accident. The room began to swirl around me and I felt my world had just come crashing in all over again. I thought he was dead. Life was just too cruel. How could this happen to me over and over again? I eventually calmed down enough to register the news that Mick was alive but had sustained serious injuries including a broken arm, leg and other bones. At that point, I entertained thoughts of killing him myself. To make matters worse, he was in the biker ward in the hospital on the other side of town. I had trouble walking with my birthing injuries and I still couldn't sit, but I managed to struggle my way from one hospital to the other, life preserver-shaped cushion in my hand to visit my... uh, to, to visit Mick in the hospital bed. He was lying still covered in external fixations like a giant pincushion. It was a frightening sight. Oh, my God. Um, he, Oh, my God, Mick whispered, his face filled with obvious pain. You have tits. I'm very flat. And I can't even touch him. And I'm sorry I put that in the book now, but that's what he said. That is what he said. That's just a side note, guys. I didn't know whether to smooch him or inflict a few fresh injuries on my own. Molly came home from hospital after a week. Mick was in a wheelchair for six months and out of action for 12. It felt like I had two babies to look after. It was such a trying and stressful time, so I returned to the gym to work out my frustrations and get my body back into shape. I began working as a fitness instructor when Molly was about three months old. I got seriously fit and became very involved in the gym scene. I entered an aerobics instructor competition and came second. Meanwhile, Mick was incredibly frustrated. He didn't take to having his wings clipped and naturally took his frustrations out in the closest person, me. I understood where it was coming from, but I was barely keeping my own head above water with work, training and the new baby. Things became very tense between us. In 1992, I trained as a bodybuilder for the first time. I would train up to the gym for up to four hours a day. After three months, I came fourth in a woman's bodybuilding competition. Exercise was becoming an addiction for me. Like anything I became obsessed with, I just couldn't stop. Mostly those were good times, but I secretly I was disappointed that things hadn't changed much at home. Bringing our new baby home had not transformed us into um, the Brady Bunch at all. Now, I don't know why the Brady Bunch is there, but it had not transformed us into a happy family. I felt like 
I was the housekeeper most of the time. Side note, that that was weird for me to read because I didn't write that. (laughs) Five years after Molly was born, we bought a block of land at Stansorpe near where my mum lived. My daughter had been gone for eight years and I still missed her terribly, but life was looking up and despite the fighting, it seemed Mick and I were making some real progress at last. Stansorpe is a beautiful place in Queensland's southern Granite Belt, renowned for its stone fruit and cold winters. As a builder's labourer, Mick had big dreams for that block. I was pregnant again at... 30 and despite nine years as aerobic instructor on and off this pregnancy was harder I was older and I was tired I watched helplessly from the sidelines as Mick succumbed to another well-known syndrome affecting many Australian men the obsession with building his dream home with his bare hands and his own patch of ground Um, as he toiled like a demon measuring hammering swinging making a lot of grunting and a lot of noise I just wanted to lie on the couch and watch my belly grow the cracks began to appear in our relationship. Stanthorpe, like many rural or semi-rural areas, is a bit of a closed shop. It's a place where you don't become a local just by having a local address. The f- trust and friendship of the community has to be earned and acceptance comes once o- over time as you become involved in local customs and to get the local know the locals on their own terms. The only time I saw the neighbours during the early part of our time there was when somebody's cow got lost on our property. It was a lonely pregnancy for me and Mick couldn't understand why I wasn't as enthusiastic or helpful as he wanted me to be. I just couldn't find it in me. At 32 weeks, I began to bleed. The doctors had difficulty figuring out what the problem was. So I kept under careful observation in the hospital for five weeks leading up to Jack's birth. This confinement didn't do much to alleviate the boredom and loneliness I was feeling, um, I was feeling even though the sounds of labouring women kept me awake night, day and night. All I had to look forward to each day was a hospital food. I came to know the menu off by heart and my weight ballooned. To keep occupied, I wheeled myself around between meals and conducted the ring test on expected mothers to determine the sex of their babies. The test is as old as the hills and has been practised by wise women for many centuries. A piece of string is tied on the pregnant woman's wedding ring, which is held and suspended in midair. The string is held very still and eventually it moves in one direction or another. The movement of the ring determines the sex of the new arrival. For my test, if it moved around in circles, it meant a girl on the way. If it swung backwards and forwards, it was a boy. During my five weeks in the prenatal ward, I had a 100% accuracy rate and became a bit of a celebrity with the nurses and mums. It didn't occur to me that this might have been more than just a series of lucky guesses on my part. I just wanted to have my baby and go home. Molly was now five years old and missing me badly. My relationship with Mick had soured rapidly at, Stan- at Stansorp and I was concerned Mick's open animosity towards me would bring, would affect Molly the longer I was away. I asked the doctors to bring Jack on early. I just couldn't bear the waiting any longer. So a beautiful second song was born 19th of July 1994. Clearly unimpressed that he had, been, that he had to enter this world before he was ready. Jack was not a calm baby. I nicknamed him. Now, it says in the book, Screaming Jack. No, I didn't. I nicknamed him Piranha. He vacuumed half my nipple off during his first feed and screamed the hospital down. But I couldn't help admiring his strength and determination. Jack had entered the building and he wanted the world to know about it. When I walked back through the door at Stanthorpe, many kilos heavier, depressed and miserable with a very vocal new baby to add to the mix, the reception from Mick was less than warm and Molly wasn't even talking to me. I knew the odds were stacked against me as never before. Mick's attitudes towards me worsened dramatically in the weeks that followed. 
His talent for making me feel beautiful and sexy, sexy was devastatingly effective in the reverse. I felt like the most undesirable woman on earth. And to be honest, I could have won an Oscar for the role. As my self-esteem plummeted, it's no surprise our fighting increased. We'd always been drinkers, but long before, but lo- before long we were drinking separately and heavier than ever. Escaping his squawking kid and fat wife at every opportunity, Mick disappeared to drink with the neighbours for days at a time. Before long, I had enough of sitting around staring at the walls. I needed to spend time with friendly people over the age of five, or I felt I would be completely lose my mind. With mum and he buys look after children, it was time for me to go back to work. In a stroke of alcohol-fueled brilliance, I got myself a job at the local pub. Side note, that was a dumb. (laughs) I was immediately in my element. The drunks at the hotel were always quick to tell me how gorgeous I was and my ego was listening to every word they said. At last, I had met the locals. Although I could feel my confidence slowly returning, the patterns of fighting and separate partying continued. I decided I couldn't stay with Mick. Around this time, I met a young man called Pedro. He was young and beautiful with the greenest eyes I'd ever seen. Pedro spoke as though the future of the planet hinged on my happiness. He reminded me my worth as a person and tried to help me stop drinking. He nurtured me and helped me to disentangle myself from the mess that my life with Mick had become. I took the plunge and moved with the kids to a house about 10 kilometres away. My job at the pub kept me sane during that period. Once again, I was able to distract myself from my problems by keeping busy and working hard. I worked as an upstairs, downstairs maid in all the bars, in the bottle shop, learning everything I could about running a hotel. It was a great little country pub, and in spite of all that was going on, I have many great memories of working there. Eventually, as sweet as Pedro was, Mick gave up drinking and asked me back. I didn't hesitate to go home. Within two hours of my return, I knew I had made a mistake. The trust between us was clearly damaged beyond repair. To give Mick his due, he did try to help me quit the booze, but living together only perpetuated long-established distractive patterns. We had both lived for too long. I stayed with him for six more months, and in 97, we split for the last time. Some time later, I heard that Pedro had died of a drug overdose. I guess like many giving souls in the world, Pedro didn't think it was important to nurture himself. Okay, that is the end of chapter four. And I want to add to that, um, I, I, it, that was one of the hardest times in my life um, during that period, um, having two young children and I was so messed up. And, um, and you know, the alcohol, I was very unsuccessful at giving up the alcohol. In fact, I think I got worse. Alcohol has always been my demon, guys. I, it's always been my demon. Um, I no longer drink, by the way. But I just want to say that that was a very, very violent time as well. I, um, I, I, there were a lot of violent fights as well. And I clearly know to this day now, now I know after many years, how much my kids were affected by all of that fighting. Um, I can see it now. And I have to say, I, I applaud any woman that is brave enough to get up and get out of that situation because it is necessary. I'm not sure why we all stay for so long. I ended up staying with Mick for 12 years, um, on and off abuse, a lot of alcohol, a lot of dummy damage, um, you know, but um, that, that is in the past, so I don't dwell on that. Him and I are now friends. We, still, we do talk. Um, we um, are co-parenting like you wouldn't believe these days. So I just wanted to add that in to that bit and you know um in my opinion him and I were not the right mix and that's all there is to it we were not meant for each other okay 
So that is Chapter 4, Chapter 5 coming very soon. Thank you for joining me. She talks to angles. Oops, angels. <laughs> you all come back now.